morning, Rockway Mennonite Church. It is so good to be with you again. Uh, I'd like to start with a question for you, even though you can't answer me. Is it beyond exciting that you get to hear about an article from the Confession of Faith in a Mennonite perspective this morning? Can I get an amen? Uh, but seriously, I am going to talk about Article 19 from this confession that was adopted by our conference in 1995. Article 19 is quite interesting, actually. It focuses on family and singleness and marriage. But before we get into the content of the article, I'd like to talk briefly about how the confession as a whole functions. Not only what it says, but what it does. First of all, it provides guidelines for the interpretation of scripture. It is not itself scripture, and it is subject to the authority of scripture. It just provides guidelines for interpretation. Secondly, it provides guidance for belief and practice from a Mennonite perspective. Thirdly, it helps to build a foundation for unity among Mennonite churches. Fourth, it provides an outline for sharing information about what Mennonite faith looks like for newcomers to the faith. Fifth, it provides updated interpretations of Mennonite beliefs and practices in changing times. And sixth, it provides a framework for discussing Mennonite beliefs and practices from within our churches and broadly, more ecumenically and broadly with other Christian denominations. So the confession does not function as a policy manual or a legal document. It's a living document that reflects how we as a Mennonite community interpret truths for our time. It's not static and unchangeable, just as we, the confessors of the confession, are not static and unfaithful. Consider how much has shifted for us in our understanding of identity and sexuality since 1995, since its adoption. A few years ago, my son Christoph told me that he had something important to tell me. So I geared up for a big talk and he said, mom, I think I'm straight, no offense. <laughs> when I was his age, I was thoroughly caught up in an unconsciously heteronormative world. And now that world has been blown wide open for our kids. So it's important to continue to re-examine whether or not the confession functions the way it is intended to function as our understanding of the world and the church changes. I mentioned that one of the functions of the confession is to provide unity among Mennonite churches, unity of belief and practice. But what the, um, the confession says more specifically is that it provides a foundation for unity, something to build upon. It is this function of unity that I will focus on primarily today. Unity is tricky, especially when it comes to issues of identity, marriage, family, and sexuality. I'm a member of Toronto United Mennonite Church, where our two current pastors are a single divorced woman and a married gay man. In spite of all of this pandemic pandemonium, our church is in a pretty happy spot these days. 
there's an overall sense of unity among the diversity of our members and attendees. But some of you may already know that we have gone through some painful divisions in order to get to where we are now. In 2002, our then associate pastor came out to the congregation about her relationship with another woman. And in 2003, many of us were shocked when Tumsey voted to terminate her employment. As a result, the Mennonite Conference of Eastern Canada also ended her ordination process. A number of people left our church because of her termination, understandably so. But I chose to stay and try to help build on whatever foundation for unity we still had left. And a few years ago, this former pastor, her partner, and their two children returned to our church and became members. It was a significant act of forgiveness on their part. The painful memories remain and shouldn't be forgotten, but our congregation has been transformed by their family's grace and ultimately by God's grace. And this grace allowed certain divisions to be healed. Article 19 of the Confession talks about how the church is the family of God and that through this family of faith, we as God's children are created to be in relationship with one another. When there is division and conflict within relationships, the church is meant to function as a source of hope and healing. I find this especially powerful right now. I'm sure that many relationships have experienced stress and even breakdown this year as a result of being cut off to some extent from the support of relationships outside of immediate family. I know that I've always felt that my marriage to Mike is built on a greater foundation than the two of us. Our families and our community are foundational to our relationship and they help to uphold the covenant that we have made to one another, our community and to God. If the marriage uh, covenant involves the commitment and support of more than two people, surely being single involves more than one person. The confession says that single people should be honored and supported just as married people are honored and supported. Single people like married people have many relationships that are fundamental to their well-being. The confession uses the uh, binary language of married and single people. There aren't other options. You're either married or you're single. This binary language is being questioned by many congregations these days. One question that is being asked is, is there room for good and just sexual partnerships beyond marriage in the church? For example, is a widowed 70-year-old woman, woman with children and grandchildren held to the same sexual standards as a 15-year-old girl? Frankly, the notion seems ridiculous. The other binary that appears in the confession is male and female. When you heard the reading of the confession of this morning, the line that might have jumped out at you was, we believe that God intends marriage to be a covenant between one man and one woman for life. 
Some Christian denominations use slightly different language by saying that they uphold the righteousness of the traditional biblical marriage of one man and one woman. But have you ever examined what marriage actually looks like in the Bible? One representation of marriage in Genesis is the marriage of one man and one woman, and the woman is meant to be subordinate to her husband. Another representation in the Bible of marriage is that one man could have multiple wives plus concubines. Consider Abraham, Gideon, and Solomon as examples. Jacob and Esau both had polygamous marriages with more than one wife. And there was also something called the Leveret marriage in which a widow who had not born a son was obligated to marry her brother-in-law if her husband died. I won't even describe the passages in Deuteronomy in which sexual assault ends in marriage. And finally, in the New Testament, Paul thinks that it is better not to get married at all unless we can simply can't control our urges. Marriage is a shifting concept in the Bible. So the idea of a kind of monolithic, unchanging, traditional biblical marriage is somewhat problematic. As for our confession of faith, does the line, we believe that God intends marriage to be a covenant between one man and one woman for life, still function as a solid foundation for church unity? I would say no. Not because I am against fidelity in marriage, but because this line has been a source of growing disunity in the Mennonite church on many other levels. It no longer functions as a unifying statement. Theologically, some congregations uphold this line as reflective of their conservative views of marriage, while others thoroughly reject it in belief and practice because it excludes the sanctity of queer unions and queer gender identities. The scripture passage from Galatians that we heard this morning says, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Jesus Christ. This passage does away with binaries like male and female, saying instead that we are all children of God. But this doesn't mean that we are all the same. We are still unique members of the body of Christ with different parts to play. We are all different, but we all belong. A sense of belonging is one of humanity's most basic needs. We don't just like to belong, we need to belong. Community is essential to our survival as human beings, both physically and psychologically. Does the confession as it now stands function as a source of deep belonging in our communities? In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is addressing a crowd of people and someone interrupts him to tell him that his mother and brothers are waiting to talk to him. Jesus replies by saying, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he says, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother.
I used to read this as a harsh rejection of Jesus's biological family, but I've started to read it differently through a rainbow lens. I love how Jesus plays with gender here, referring to many people as his mother, sister, and brother. Jesus reformulates what makes a family by including those with whom he is in community. Jesus redefines the family and opens the door to a more expansive, inclusive family based on mutual faith and action. This is one of the biblical stories that speaks to LGBTQ plus Christians who long for an acceptance of different formulations of family within the church. I'd like to conclude with three suggestions from Christian ethicist, Christine Gudorf as to how we can promote justice and deep belonging in our churches. Perhaps these suggestions can help guide us as we ask whether or not it's time to revise Article 19 of the Confession of Faith. First, the church should resist defining sexuality in static, ultimate ways. Concepts of sexuality are fluid and dynamic. Second, the church should decenter sexuality. Sexuality was not a focal point for Jesus. Number three, we should protect the vulnerable without disempowering them. This means creating and maintaining safe spaces while promoting inclusion and participation on all levels. Let's pray. Creating, renewing incarnated God, we rejoice because we are made in your image. We ask that you guide us in our quest to live out loving justice in your name. Amen.